Welcome to episode 318 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. The countdown continues. My third book, Break Out of Boredom, Low-Tech Solutions for Highly Engaging Zoom Events, will officially launch in just five weeks on March 13th, 2023. That's the third anniversary of the yet-to-be-named pandemic creating havoc in our lives and the beginning of our reliance on Zoom. I host my first virtual happy hour on March 13th, 2020, and that kick-started a thriving new business as a virtual event design consultant and executive Zoom producer. I've learned so much producing my own weekly and monthly events and producing virtual conferences for amazing organizations like Feeding America, California WIC Association, and other nonprofits, associations, and higher education institutions. If you ever have to present virtually, you want this book. Join my book launch team now and you'll receive extra bonuses and early access just for committing to writing an Amazon review. Sign up at robbysamuels.com forward slash breakout launch. Again, the link to sign up for the book launch team is robbysamuels.com forward slash breakout launch. If you'd rather hire a professional Zoom producer or need help with virtual event design, reach out. My team and I would love to support you and your team. Now onto this week's interview. Today's guest believes you can achieve anything you want in life with the right strategy. He went from being a person who was afraid of public speaking to becoming a certified Google trainer and training 10,000 business owners. He is the CEO of Ajax Union, a company he started in January 2008 and grew to number 178 on the Inc. 500. Currently, his focus is supporting B2B companies with market funnels, sales enablement, and lead generation. He's the author of six books, including High Energy Networking, Get Anything You Want in Life While Building Meaningful Relationships That Last a Lifetime. Please join me in welcoming Joe Applebaum. Joe, welcome. Thank you so much for having me on the program. Really excited to be here, Robbie. And I love your schmooze style. Absolutely. <laughs> You're going to be schmoozing. So as you know, this is a show of building strong networks and the context is leadership. So let's kick off with this question. How do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? For me, leadership is about taking responsibility. It's about knowing that what you do, what you say, how you behave matters. I always knew that I was a leader. I was number two in my family, we're one of six. So I always knew that I was a leader because people naturally came to me for advice, my parents, my siblings. I was the one that always hired everybody. I was the one that always was able to just be there as the person. Like in every dynamic, there's always like the victim, the hero, like there's like different characters <laughs> in every dynamic. And I was always like the hero. So for me, leadership was natural. It was like, oh, he's the leader. But I also had an issue with friendship. And often they say it's lonely on the top. It's because being that I'm always the leader, being that I'm always the coach, being that I'm always the hero, I often will either alienate people or you know, it's a different, it's a different dynamic than just being a friend. And so I had friends, but they were surfacey friendships. Um, and it wasn't until I really understood 
that the balance between, you know, not just telling people what to do, not just advising, not just coaching. Leadership is not just about that. It's also about listening. It's also about being present. I didn't even know that that, that whole dynamic even existed. So for me, leadership is about leading yourself into becoming a better version of yourself, creating that growth mindset and leading yourself to success, taking responsibility for everything that happens in your life, starting with your mindset, starting with your set, with you, with who you are, but ultimately being able to just step into it, being able to step into your life, being able to step into the lives of other people and being okay reaching out. Like for example, at networking, <laughs> there were different times that I recognized that I was a leader in different areas of my life. So with networking, I would always just wait for people to come to me. Like if they really want me, they're going to come to me. But what I realized is if you build it, they will not come. You know, the famous saying, if you build it, they will come. If you build it, they will not come. So for me, what I realized is I am the leader in my network. I am the connector. I reached out to 150 people today before 8 a.m., wishing them a happy Thanksgiving. And, and one person, 50 people said, amazing, thank you, I love it, so great, blessings. One person says, this feels disingenuous. Someone who with very little experience in networking. You know, you're sending it two days early. You're not even like, you're not even really, you don't really care about me. And I just like leaned into it. And I was like, I see you feel that way. <laughs> I get it. What's going on in your life? And we're having a conversation. Now we're having a conversation and I'm leading them through this self-limiting belief that they have that this is this disingenuous and, da -da 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 and whatever. They have all these issues with it because they feel uncomfortable doing it. Like, how many other people did he send this to? <laughs> I was like, you're the only one for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this is really great. I mean, you're sharing about leadership to you. It's, it's taking responsibility, but you learned at some point it wasn't just about being directive and coaching people through an experience. It was also about listening, caring deeply about them, and that that's also what translated eventually into how you approached networking. And you shared a little bit, Joe, about who you were as a kid. So you're you're the second of six kids, so clearly you have some responsibilities as you have a lot of younger siblings to take care of and support as a family. But on the playground, how did you show up in those spaces? Or did you run for school office in any formal capacity? Or did, did teachers sort of lean in and say like, oh, Joe will take this? Like, was it very apparent to everyone, even outside of your family, that you were a, the go-to person? Not so much. Not so much because I was also the class clown. I was the person who always made jokes, I made trouble, so I wasn't like the person who followed rules. So teachers don't really want the person who's not a rule follower to lead because I'm not I make my own rules. Like I do my I do my own thing. I go off the beaten path to some degree as well. Like many visionaries that I know, they don't necessarily follow all the rules. There are certain rules that you have permission to play. You got to follow those rules. You got to be ethical and so on. But I'm talking about, you know, like when the rules are gray and the teacher didn't say exactly when to come back or how to do it or whatever it is. And I can make my own, I can make my own loose rules around that. So I wasn't necessarily the person who, who followed all the rules or did things the, the way that teachers would think necessarily is the right way. But I learned everything very quickly. I was very intelligent. So I was able to pick up things very quickly. And then the teacher had to keep repeating the things to the 30 kids in the class. So I would end up making trouble for the teacher and I would end up getting kicked out. So I was the valedictorian but I wasn't, but I was also kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> this is a fascinating dichotomy there where like you're smart, studious, you're doing the work, but it's almost like it was um, just not activating your brain enough. Like you weren't being challenged enough in the work. And so there was a lot of free time to kind of basically goof off and 
kind of cre- create what time. Make havoc. <laughs> yeah make cartoons make fun of the teachers make make everybody laugh try to figure out how to how to be able to keep the people's attention that i value and just give them a good time I'm, i was always an entertainer i always enjoyed entertaining i still entertain today if you've ever attended one of my workshops often i'll make jokes or i'll do a poem or i'll rap i recently wrote a poem on LinkedIn. I don't know if you got a chance to see my my LinkedIn poem, but I wrote a beautiful poem on LinkedIn. Somebody came to me. It's like, Joe, can you do poetry? I was like, I never really wrote poetry before, but I, I today I'm a po- I wrote on LinkedIn. Today I'm a poet, one who is clever. I post here on LinkedIn to share my endeavor. One thousand people see each post. One thousand friends who I adore the most. And I go through a whole beautiful uh, uh, poem because I was inspired to do that. Yeah. So very creative and you like to, I mean, this is staying in front, staying top of mind. This is something you valued at a young age, which is clearly very important still today. When you were 12, 13 years old, did you have a sense of what was going to happen in the future, what you were going to be when you grew up, any career paths laid out in front of you? When I was young, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I didn't have any career path. My father wanted me to be a rabbi. So I went and I learned to be a rabbi. That's what I studied to do. But when I became a rabbi, I realized I don't want to be a rabbi. I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to build businesses. I want to make money. I want to make an impact. I want to help people. I want to make a difference with other people. Uh, But first, I knew that I didn't have any skills, so I had to go and learn those skills. And so I went to my mother. I was very depressed when I was 18, 17. I was like, Ma, you never sent me to college. I don't know anything. I don't know how to make money. I don't want to fail. So she said, get in the car. We had an old station wagon, a used car. We got in the station wagon. I remember, remember the station wagons? I don't know if you remember, but that was like a that was like the back in the day minivan. It was a station wagon. <laughs> and the seat would face backwards. So the kids in the back would be able to see the back window. I don't know how safe that is. If you make a shortstop, the kid just goes out the window. <laughs> but that, you know, that that's what it was. So she's hopping the station wagon. She took me to the Brooklyn Public Library. She sells self-educate. She said, formal education, going to college will make you a living. You become an accountant, a lawyer, you make a good living. But self-education, teaching yourself, that's where you can become, make a fortune. That's where you can become very wealthy. And so I took books out on web design because that's, I was interested in like the internet. I heard the internet was a hot thing. I was interested in computers. I didn't have a computer growing up. My parents couldn't afford a computer. So at 17, I chipped in with my mother. We went half and half. We went to JNR Music World in, in New York. Now it's out of business, like Toys R Us, out of business. And we bought a, a compact computer with a 336K modem with a free upgrade to Windows 97. <laughs> so I was like, wow, this is great. I got a free upgrade. I can't wait till I get Windows 97 installed. And it was just incredible for me. I'm just so curious. I'm so like, oh, I need to like tear this apart. I opened it up right away. I looked at all the components, trying to look at the books, the diagrams, trying to figure out what is this thing? What are all these like? What's this? This is a card? Is a PCI card? Oh, what's the RAM? How does the RAM work? And I just basically started reverse engineering. Then people started asking me, Joe, can you fix my computers? So I started an IT business. They say, could you build my websites? I started a web design business. Can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? So I had like six little side hustles in my 20s where I was doing all different types of things. Everything from construction to web design to graphic design to IT services. And I would hire people part-time to help me here and there. Well, I wasn't thinking about a business. I was more thinking about, okay, people are asking me for things. Let me do it for them and charge them for it. Um, and I just wanted to learn more and more skills. I was like obsessed. That I, I thought that the more I was skilled I was, the more valuable I'd be. I was wrong. Mm-hmm. 
I love how you were listening, though, to people and taking in what people needed and then using that to decide what services to create and what things to even learn more about. But it was really your own passion that led the way, like first and foremost. So at 17, it was apparent that you were not going to get, you know, supported by your family to go to college, that you were kind of on your own to figure that out or to go have an education of any kind because there were six kids and not enough money. But, you know, at what point did the the rabbinical school come into play? Was that around the same time or was it before? Like I mean, my whole life, I, I, I grew up in that world. So like yeah. I was just always just studying Bible, right? That's like Torah. That's what I was doing, just studying Torah. That's what I was supposed to be doing. I wasn't really doing that. <laughs> I was having fun with my friends. But like that's what you're supposed to be doing. You're in, you're in school. You're supposed to be learning and becoming a better person and just studying and studying and studying and studying. And I would pick it all up. I knew it all, but I was just like, all right, I'm done. Like, what, like what else is there to do? You're going to go to the movies? What are we going to, what are we going to do? Cause the movies, it was like not okay to go to the movies, but we still cut out of school and still went to the movies with a bunch of guys. And then we would just go in there and spend the day at the movies, which was this great. This wasn't your passion. Like you knew it, you understood it, but it wasn't your passion. It did not like, light me up. It did not light, like studying religious studies mm-hmm. is interesting but it lights my father up. Like that's what like turns him on. He gets so excited about that. That's like what lights him up. And what lights my father up doesn't light me up. You know what lights me up? When I give you a strategy and you make $100,000, when I find someone that's in debt and I help them to go from 10K in debt to 100K in the bank within six months of working with me, that lights me up. When I help somebody start talking to their parents again where they haven't talked to their parents in 20 years, when I help somebody be able to build a better relationship with their kids or with their grandkids, when they're struggling with depression and they stop taking pills and now they're just happy because I taught them the basics of their body and mechanics of hormones and how things work and suddenly they're like a changed person and they're doing better in every area of their life. When I can help somebody with creativity, with curiosity, with love, with connection, with freedom, that's what that's what inspires me. That's what makes me want to keep doing what I'm doing. It's not... It's not about like building a business. Some people are obsessed with the concept of building a business. Sure, I love building a business. I love hiring employees. I love doing all that stuff. But for me, that's just like, I want to support people. Like I want to make a difference for people. Yes, I'm going to support my employees. I'm going to support my network. But the secret to living is giving, not faking and taking, not waking and baking, although that could be fun. You know, what's amazing here is that even when you ran through the list of all the different ways you love like what lights you up. It's quite, it's quite the range. You're quite the Renaissance uh, person, even when you're talking about the things you excel at and what you love to do, how, how you're sort of so, so energized. What, what point in your early entrepreneurial endeavors in your twenties, did you start to think of yourself actually of having a business and being a business owner versus just like, you know, having a bunch of different side hustles? Uh, it was when I started Ajax Union and it started to take off. So I had a full-time job as a CMO of thewatchery.com. I was basically running all their marketing. I was doing, you know, we were doing SEO, SEM, social. Basically, I had my own little marketing agency internally over there. I also had a bunch of side hustles on the side, you know, hoping that one of them would take off. And Ajax Union started taking off. So I went into the office of the CEO and I sat with him and I said, hey, how are you? Good. He's like, how's your side hustles? I said, good. Because <laughs> he knew I, I would always ask him for advice. You know, I was very open. I was like, that's the only reason I took the job. Any job I ever took, I said, hey guys, listen, listen, listen. 
I got a sukkah business. <laughs> so during the sukkah season, I may not be here all the time, but I want you to know what I'm up to. Like, do whatever you want. Just, you know, come here and work with us because we need you. Um, and so I was very transparent. This is what I'm doing. This is home doing it with because I thought maybe they had a sukkah. <laughs> maybe they needed it too. Um, and a sukkah is like a little hut that I build for the Jewish community a certain time of the year, blah, blah, blah. I had 400 clients, three crews would go around and build the sukkahs. First of all, I have to just interject here because <laughs> I'm imagining like all the places that need one built who don't want to do it themselves, like, you know, including synagogue. community centers and yeah. synagogues, like you don't, you know, you don't want to necessarily ask people to do it. Like if you want to get it done correctly. I mean, I, I just never thought of it as a business possibility. A business. It's so smart. <laughs> yeah, it's such a business, but it's more for like a teenager because yeah. I would love the smaller ones where it's like the old couple. They don't want to bother their kids. They're wealthy. Yeah. Come in, pay me $375. I'll pull it out of your basement. I'll assemble it. I'll taste your cake, tell you it's good. I'll get a nice tip for the boys and then we'll bounce. And in like 15 minutes, we're out. We're like in, we're out. We know every module, every way to do it. I trained the guys really well. And then I would just, you know, I would just have fun. Like I, 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 I knew that I didn't want to do the work. I, at that point, I already knew I didn't want, but I didn't know that it was possible to really build a business because I didn't understand sales. Like sales was, I didn't know sales was the thing. I didn't know like, oh, people hire salespeople. I wasn't like in the corporate world. Like I wasn't out there. Like everyone that I worked with was in the community. They had small businesses. I wasn't like, oh my God, there are systems and processes and like visionaries and integrators and operators and departments. And when I started Ajax Union, I started working full time. I was like, org chart, that's a thing. Org chart. Oh my God. Okay. Can I be the CEO? Can I be the one on top? <laughs> and then I started learning. I joined Vistage and I joined Entrepreneurs Organization, which are groups of CEOs. And I started learning about their companies and looking at the intricacies and mechanics of businesses that are doing $100 million in revenue. And I'm like, oh, okay. PL. That's a thing I got to look at. Got it. Cash flow statement. Oh, balance sheet. Ooh, there are assets and liabilities. Okay. I don't understand any of this. But I had to learn it over time. I got coaching and I got support. And then I realized, oh my God, I cannot do anything else. Where focus goes, energy flows. I focused on Ajax Union. Within 18 months, we doubled, doubled, doubled the business. We were number 170 on the Inc. 500. And then lots of different changes happened in the market, in my business, in my life. And you know, lots of things changed. I started really working on myself as an individual. I realized I lacked awareness. I was 100 pounds heavier than I am today. And I was also afraid of public speaking. I was afraid of networking. I had a lot of fears. I had a lot of issues that I had to work through. And, you know, 10 years later, you know, I'm a, people look at me and they're like, who are you? Who are you? Like, how did you become who you are? And it was personal development. All right. I want to uncover some of that in a moment, but I want to get back to Ajax Union. What was it you were first selling? Like what took off? Uh, SEO. Search engine optimization. So you know the famous saying, if you build it, they will come. I would build websites for people and nobody came to their website. Like literally, that's like I would do as a side hustle at a company called Apple's Creations. I built websites for people, nobody came. So people would say, can you make people come? So I started researching. There was a guy named Matt Cutts, a spam engineer at Google. And I started watching all his videos on YouTube. And I started, you know, I took some courses and I took some classes and I online, I read some books and I mastered SEO because I already knew the technical side. I knew the engineering side. I knew web design. I knew program. I knew PHP. Like I understood that. And I was very curious. I always reversed engineered. Okay, why is Google ranking for this? Why is not for that? What's going on here? And I like really studied it really, really well. So I became like an expert. Like I became the guy. I did it myself first for a 
bunch of companies and I became the expert and I realized that there's a formula to succeed online. And so people started hiring me and all of a sudden I realized, oh, reoccurring revenue? <laughs> that changed my life, by the way. Reoccurring revenue changed my life. So I realized I got to offer something simple, that's like cookie cutter, that I could offer to everyone for reoccurring revenue and then just create like a, like almost like a factory, an SEO factory. And so that's what we created. We assembled the team, first five people, then 10, then 20, then 30, then 40, then 50, then 60 people. We had 75 people, three locations, and we had 1,100 clients that we've serviced. Like we, 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 were, we were like a machine. People would come to us and they would rank number one for major keywords with a couple hundred dollars a month. Like, oh my God, that's crazy. We wouldn't be able to do all their keywords. And then companies started spending 5,000 a month and then 10,000 a month. And one company started spending 45,000 a month. And I was like, okay, that's the type of company I need to work with. Not the guy who's spending $599 that's pulling his hair out because he didn't get an ROI in two minutes. Now I need, okay. So then I started kind of shifting my whole business around my business model and realizing top line, bottom line is a very big difference. But SEO was the thing that I started as reoccurring revenue. And that was the thing that was very addictive back, you know, 10 years ago. Everybody's like, oh, SEO is a thing. SEO, now LinkedIn's a thing. But then SEO is a thing. 10 years before that, email marketing was a thing. 10 years before that, cold calling was a thing. So like, you know, there's, there's different waves, different times. Right now, the equivalent of SEO 10 years ago is LinkedIn. Because you go on LinkedIn and like, I'm telling you, dude, I have a client signed up to our LinkedIn course. Within 90 days, she closed $200,000 in revenue. And this is, this is something that keeps happening over and over and over. Why? Because that's where people are. That's where the decision makers are. So it's like, that's and and our training company took off we have a training company teaching people how to use linkedin teams called evergreen we started when the pandemic started basically and that company's taking off so i'm excited about that you seem to always be um kind of on the leading edge as tech is coming out partly because you get asked questions as a person who seems to be in the know or this seems to be something that you would probably know about and if you don't you take the time to educate yourself and to figure out the angle you know, of how it's going to help you and help the people who come to you. And then that becomes the thing for a while. And then when that's no longer the thing and something else emerges, you dive headfirst into learning really how to crack the code on that next thing. And then you can figure out how to monetize that and, you know, track the right people to help them get the results they want. And, and so, you know, who knows what you're going to be working on 10 years from now, you Correct. know, it's going to be NFTs or, uh, you know, training AI to do speaking engagements or I don't know, right? Like that already, that's already a thing. I know, Dolly, I know, I know <laughs> as a professional speaker, I'm like, ah, <laughs> but, um, but that's great. I mean, it, it's, it's really interesting how that's all evolved. I'm curious, like in the early stages, the difficult part for you seemed to be the lack of education you had around, I'm going to say like the business structure. And that's where you took courses and trainings and got a coach. Like, it sounds like you you had a moment where you would not have grown further if you hadn't taken that on. But joining like Entrepreneur's Organization, for instance, was a real leap. I mean, you were a small little, or, you know, you were a little group, you know, you had CEO next to your name, but like it was a name only compared to these big companies. What was it like for you to decide to do that? Especially since that moment, it sounds like you were not as excited about networking as you might be today. So what led to you saying yes to signing up for Vistage and EO? So the big awareness shift that I had was public speaking. Google sent me an email 
So I'm like this mom and pop shop. I don't know anything about public speaking. I don't think about seminars. I don't think about networking. I am nothing. I got an email from Google and they're like, you're one of the foremost experts in PPC. You have so many clients. We'd love for you to teach to small business owners on behalf of Google. So I sent that email to my partner. I was like, let's do this together. This could be fun. He's like, okay. So we became certified Google trainers and we had the five boroughs of New York City. We covered that. Which means is we were responsible to put on a, sh a seminar. The first one was at the Jewish Children's Museum in Crown Heights. We'd rent the place and they would fill it. However many seats they had, they would fill it. So the first one was 70 people. They came, they each paid 50 bucks a piece. We served cookies and donuts and cake and whatever. And I got up on stage and I was frightened. I was like, I, my heart was beating like it was going to come out of my chest. I was like, what? Like, why do I feel like I'm going to die right now? There's a crowd of people here. Why do I feel, including my ex-wife in the room, like, why, why am I, like, why am I feel like I'm going to die? I'm like, I know the material, like the material I know, like I have the skills beyond no, like I'm an expert, right? Like I know that I'm the expert, but I am so scared right now and I cannot breathe. And I'm also very overweight too. So I'm like, I'm like using the word basically every other word, not telling stories, being very technical. And, you know, after 45 minutes of me just riding the crowd, one guy walked out. So I told my partner to take me over. I was going to chase that guy. So I chased the guy down. I was like, why are you leaving? What's going on over here? You didn't like it? He's like, I'm the CEO of a company. Uh, I just need to hire you. So we sat down. We became friends. He told me about EO. He told me about these concepts. But we just, you know, we became friends. I went to his office. He became a client after. But what I realized is through that, through me learning that I'm afraid of public speaking, I realized that I have something called self-limiting beliefs. I didn't even know that I had beliefs. I didn't even know the way my mind worked. I know you, you're like, oh my God. <laughs> when I started to lose weight, I was telling people, drink smoothies. <laughs> people were like, oh yeah, greens are good for you? Great, Joe, write a book about that. <laughs> like as if nobody knows. Like, oh, everybody knows. But Joe found out, so now he's writing a book about it. But in my world where I grew up, what was healthy eating is fried chicken, burgers, pizza, french fries. Men eat meat. Women eat salad. You know, often while I go to a restaurant, I'll sit down, I'll order the salad. And if I'm with a woman, sometimes she'll order meat. They put the meat in front of me and the salad in front of her. That just happens every single time. And I laugh about it because now I just always eat salad. I love salad. That's the first thing I'll order. I'll order two or three salads. But they put the salads in front of the women and the meat in front of the men, even though it doesn't work that way. Like, you know, whatever. But that's just society. That's just the world. That's what we were taught. That's what I was taught, at least. Anyway, bottom line is public speaking made me realize that I need to develop myself in order to become a better speaker. So I started developing myself. And as I developed myself, every time I fixed one thing, I uncovered one thing, I uncovered 10 things that were wrong. And that's kind of like how, like once you open up the car and you're like, oh, okay, well, we have an issue with the alternator. Oh, the compressor's gone too. Now you need a new engine. And it all started because you were trying to fix the, the cigarette lighter in the car. <laughs> you know, what's amazing is how what could have been a story of you bombing on stage and realizing you just didn't have the chops to like do this. Like you maybe... I'm good behind the scenes. Someone else can be trained to get up on stages. That kind of, you know, you could have made that decision in that moment in your life. Stay you go and chase well. after this guy who leaves early yeah. to ask like why. And then it turns out that guy's like, well, it's kind of above my head anyway. Like, I don't want to actually know how to do this. I just want someone to do it for me. And you seem very knowledgeable. And then that person ends up befriending you and kind of guiding you towards EO and these other sort of 
growth opportunities. <laughs> no, it was, it's really, really crazy. And, and when I follow my intuition, like every time I follow my intuition, even like LinkedIn training, it wasn't something that I like thought, oh my God, someone begged me. I was like, I'm a CEO of a company. I'm not a LinkedIn trainer. I'm not going to go train people on how to use LinkedIn. What the hell do you think I am? Right? My ego didn't allow me to do it. But this guy was a YPO member. He has a $100 million business. He's like, I need you to train me one-on-one. -on -one. You don't understand. There's an opportunity here. And you need, I was like, what am I going to charge you? And I'm like, what am I even going to, like, my time is too valuable. He's like, just charge me whatever it is. So I started training him. And then people, other people started asking me. And I started really enjoying it. And I was like, oh, my God, I love this. And then I came up with the whole framework and a system. And then, you know, turned into a whole nother business. But that's, that's typically how it happens. Like, I follow my intuition. The universe sends me gifts. There's grace in everything. So you get gifts. You just have to be willing to accept the gifts and get out of your comfort zone. I was very uncomfortable being on stage. I was very uncomfortable doing LinkedIn training. I was very, my first networking event, Google decided to stop the program, Robbie. They decided, okay, we're done with the Google program. This is after we trained so many people on their behalf. I was like, all right, I'm going to do this myself. Screw it. I don't need Google. I'm good at this now. I'm going to do this myself. I went to the Hilton. I booked a room and I'm trying to fill it. So what am I going to do? I Googled how to fill a seminar. They said networking is the best because they're already going to events. So I typed in networking events in New York City. I went to a Manhattan Chamber of Commerce event. They had 150 people in a bar somewhere in Koreatown. So I said, okay, I'm going to go to 32nd Street. I'll figure it out. My first time going like to like a bar. I've never really gone to bars. Like, I don't go to bars. I'm busy working. I have a family. I have kids. I go to show. I don't go to bars. Anyway, I go up. I walk into the bar. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I got to get out of here. This is, this is way... I got this feeling of like anxiety to my head. I was like, I can't do this. Everyone's talking. Everyone's busy. The woman's like, why don't you hear, here's your free drink ticket. Go get a beer. I'm trying to leave. The elevator's not coming. I'm like hitting the elevator button to leave. I'm like, this is not, this, I don't do this. This is not for me. Ended up going to the bar and I, there was a life insurance agent over there. He's like, what do you do for a living? I was like, I have an agency. He's like, oh, I do life insurance. Here's my card. I was like, this is my first time here. He's like, oh, let me give you advice. You have business cards. Show me your business cards. Give me a bit, pull them out, pull them all out, pull them all out, pull them all out. I pull out all my business cards. I had Google business cards. It said, come to my seminar at the Hilton on this and this date. I printed it out special, color, beautiful with a coupon code. He's like, take your business card and give it to everyone here, everyone in the room, and then leave. And everyone's going to want to do business with you. I was like, okay. I took my business cards, put on a Google cap, and I went to every person in the room, handed my business card to them, and I left. The only guy that called me was a life insurance guy. <laughs> I'm cringing like Joe. I'm, <laughs> I I'm like, so hard. I'm cringing so hard right now. Because <laughs> um, the uh, this is, I don't mean to disparage people who sell life insurance or real estate. You know, there are certain professions that seem to dabble in networking in this very spray and pray kind of way airplane, if you're on an airplane and a guy's sitting next to you trying to talk to you all you got to do is tell them you're in life insurance and they'll never talk to you for the rest they'll of never talk life. to you again <laughs> i i think though that um this is it's very interesting that like you were like i will take that advice because it, it was great about that advice in that moment was it met your immediate need your immediate need was to leave but leave with your pride and if this person tells you this is the way you do it <laughs> and it will work for you you were like oh good i'll just do these two things you know, I am actually surprised in a way, although this proves the point that spraying and praying your business cards doesn't work, that having Google attached to what you're doing didn't sort of catch. Really 
Nobody cared. Nobody Nobody cared. cared. I mean, they made believe they cared. They were polite. They were like, oh, thank you. I'll consider it. Oh, I should bring my staff. I was like, oh, my God, so much interest. So much interest. But then, you know, people put their business card in their pocket. They forget you exist. You leave. There's no relationship there. Right. It, what I do now is I walk into a networking event and I walk into the organizer and I say, tell me one person I need to build a deep relationship with. Who's the center of influence here? And she points me to that guy, Mike. I walk over to Mike and I look at Mike in his eyes and I say, Mike, you're a beautiful soul. Why did the organizer tell me that you're the number one person here? What is it about you? And then we start connecting and building a relationship. And at the end of our beautiful five-minute conversation, I say, Mike, I really enjoyed this. Can we connect on LinkedIn? He says, yes. I send him a connection request. I make sure he accepts it in it right away. And then I say, awesome, I'd love to follow, set up a follow-up one-on-one with you. I'll hit you up on LinkedIn. I have a question for you. If there's one person in this room who's the center of influence in this room, who do you think I should meet? I did this 10 times. I got the 10 most influential people in the room, which basically connects me to everyone in the room, and then I leave. And that takes me about an hour and a half. That was an amazing hour and a half and 10 amazing relationships that I follow up with after. I took a selfie with each one. I connected with all of them on LinkedIn, and I'm gone. Out of 100 people in the room, I met maybe 20 or 30, but I really connected with 10. And that's how to do it. That's a whole nother ballgame. And I do that maybe once a quarter or once every two months. I'll walk into an event that I have zero connection to, like outside of my industry, like a licensing event or something. And I'll go in there just to kind of rev me up, to like walk into a place that has nothing to do with me, like literally nothing to do with me. And I'll build key relationships there, which open up the door. That's a fantastic technique. Um, I used something like that, uh, an event where um, I was, it was a very mixed group, uh, different sectors. It was a sort of city sponsored networking event, which meant everybody showed up and I was trying to find my people. And so, you know, I asked this person, um, well, this is the kind of people I'm looking to meet. And then they were like, oh, over there. And then I, and eventually like four layers down, I met someone who said, oh, I know who you need to meet. She's not here right now. And this is back when people tweeted at each other and actually built relationships. And so she tweeted that person. We, she and that, myself and that woman, like we went back and forth on Twitter a ton. About five, six months later, I walk into another event and she's at the, the door. She's tapping the, the table. She sees what name tag I'm about to grab and she comes around the table to give me a hug. <laughs> and it was like, we had, you know, found each other. So I, I think that you're right, like m- much better to zero in than like just, you know, put your information everywhere, bulletin board style. I'm curious when you're thinking about staying in touch, like, um, you know, you've got a pretty incredible network, uh, clearly not just on LinkedIn, but you know, through everything you've done in life, you've done a lot of different kinds of sectors and styles of work and business and occupations. So you have your inner circle of people, the people that whether you see them regularly or not, it's easy to catch up again, like they're your people. But then how do you think about staying in touch with those second and third tiers or layers out the people that you might see once a year at a conference or you work with them five years ago, but you haven't really had a reason to recently. I should mention that you like each other. Let's <laughs> preface with that. You enjoy each other's company. Any habits, fa- uh, practices or philosophies that help you sort of stay top of mind and nurture those connections? Well, first of all, make sure you're connected on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and so on. Make sure you're connected on various social channels based on what they use. And then make sure you're updating your social channels. So that itself, people are on social media. That's where they're at. Um, and then make reasons to reach out to people. You know, reach out to people based on, let's say, for example, I'm thinking about EO. So I know the 500 people that I met through EO. So I'm not going to reach out to all 500, but I'll pick 50 based on my feeling. You got to follow your intuition as well. You know, following your intuition is really important. So for me, like 
there's a reason why sometimes I want to reach out to one person or another person. I don't often know the reason why I need to reach out to somebody, but the universe puts the person in front of me or puts the network in front of me. I'll go through the network and I'll be like, all right, well, who are the people here that I need to follow up with? And I'll wish them a happy Thanksgiving. By the way, there are 10 holidays throughout the year. And I write this in my book, High Energy Networking. There are 10 holidays in the year that you can reach out to almost anybody for no reason other than it's a holiday coming up. And Thanksgiving is one of those holidays. So you can talk about what you're grateful for. You could just say, I'm grateful that you're in my life. We haven't been in touch recently, but I just wanted to drop a quick line just to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Hope you are with your loved ones or whatever you're doing. Hope you're doing fine. I'm doing great. And you just send them a message. Do that 100 times a day for five days before Thanksgiving. That's 500 people. That's more people than, than most people will talk to in a year. And then I try to set up at least five conversations a day. So I try to have at least five meaningful conversations that are five to 15 minutes every single day with people in my network. And so that's a thousand a year, five a day, 20 a week, 80 a month, a thousand a year. That creates a tremendous amount of opportunity. So although I'm not going to be in touch with every single person, I'll do that. And then the other thing is I, what I do is I do specialty events. So like, for example, if I was in, if I went on a, a board retreat with a whole board group five years ago, I'll create an event saying, hey, we're meeting as a, you know, from five years ago, here's a photo of us all together. If you guys would like to catch up, I'm scheduling a time and I make a meeting with one other key person that was on the board and then maybe four or five of the 20 will join and then we'll have a little Zoom meeting to kind of catch up. So that's the idea. Not everyone's going to want to join. Not everybody wants to be in touch. Some people are just like, you know, some people died. I know people that died. You know, they just died. So I, with them, I could do it when I'm meditating. I can talk to them. All right. Those, those are all great things. I want to I want to dig in, into this a little bit. So you have your strategy around holidays. I tend to do New Year's Eve cards. That's actually one of the things I decided to do because everyone celebrates it like across the world. So I don't have to worry about what you know country they're in or what religion they have or what they practice. Or so Rosh Hashanah is my Rosh Hashanah, right? No, very good. And uh, and then, but the thing you said about five conversations a day between five and fifteen minutes. I, I too meet with lots of, I'm often having lots of new conversations throughout the week. And then, but like, how are you having, and these must be more catch up calls. Like, how are you keeping these calls between five and 15 minutes? Like that's the part that I'm, my brain was like, wait, I have, how a, does six, that work? I have a six step process for having a conversation. If you go to my LinkedIn profile, if you go to joelinkedin.com and you click on my featured videos, you can see there, there's a video there. And I have a six-step process. First, I build rapport, which takes two to three minutes to build rapport. Hey, what's going on? How's life? Yeah, yeah. doing anything fun? Have you done anything fun? Yeah, whatever. We talk about whatever. Two minutes. Then you ask some questions. So I'm asking you questions. So I'll point to questions. Anything I can help you with? Anything that you're looking to do? What are some of your priorities for the next da-da-da? Usually within two or three minutes, they tell me their priorities. Maybe I'll share some of my priorities. Then I'll share some insights, ideas, invitations to an event that I'm going to go to. Usually I have templates ready. I'm like, oh, let me send you more information about this. And then I do, I set up the next follow-up meeting with them, or I just say, Hey, let's be in touch, come to the event. We'll be in touch, whatever. Um, and then, um, I often will ask for a referral, share some gratitude and we're done. So usually that will take 15 minutes. Now, sometimes during that 15 minute call, I realize I need to talk to this person for an hour. So then I'll say, Hey, I don't have an hour right now. Could we carve out an hour in the next two weeks is Monday at 2 PM or 7 PM work for you? Or can we get dinner? And then we, that's our follow-up, you know, we do dinner. So those 15 minutes is not there to kind of go deep with them. It's there kind of just to see if there's an opportunity for us to go deeper. And if there is an opportunity to go deeper, like I had a 15 minute meeting with a guy named Mike. Then he said, I was like, I'm going to be in Florida anyway. Why don't you come and spend an hour with me on the beach while I'm there with my kids? 
So he showed up. I'm with my kids. They're playing in the water, whatever. He came, sat down next to me. We had an hour conversation by the beach. It turned out it started raining. So he helped me with the stuff to bring the kids back in. And then, and then he's like, why don't we do a webinar together? And we did a webinar and a hundred people registered for the webinar. And it was a beautiful event that we did together. All because we had a 15 minute conversation, which led to a beach meeting, which led to a webinar, which led to a, a few good potential clients for both of us. It's just like, that's, that's just like the way things work. You know, you also have to follow your intuition. There's a reason why I met this guy named Michael at a signature bank event when this, when the chairman was doing a book launch for one of his books, Scott Shea did a, a book launch for a signature bank. And I happened, I happened to see a guy who I was training through a networking group anyway. I was training on LinkedIn, but I never really got to meet him in person. And then he's like, why don't you come to my house at Sag Harbor sometime? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to come to your house in Sag Harbor in the next two weeks. Does next Sunday at whatever time work for you? He's like, actually, I'll be there alone. And I drove down to Sag Harbor and I spent an entire day with the guy. And he turned me on to this whole concept called ESG, which opened up a whole new can of worms for me for the next probably decade of things. And then I met this other guy who was an ESG expert, then another ESG expert, then another ESG expert. And I started seeing why the universe is sending me towards ESG. Who knows what that's going to turn into? That could be a multi-trillion dollar opportunity in terms of impact, in terms of revenue, in terms of lots of different things. So I follow my intuition. I see where it goes and it leads me to meet some incredible, fantastic people. And it helps me be able to just keep giving. I love this. I love this. So let's say, Joe, you and I are going to keep crossing paths. That much I know. We, we cross paths already a lot and uh, do a lot of networking in the same circles. But let's say it's a year from now and I realize, wow, it's been a year since since I interviewed you, we had that great conversation. I want to ask you at that point, like, how's your year been? Like, what have you been up to? What are you excited to, to celebrate? So what are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? What are you going to be sharing with me a year from now? Well, that I got to my goals for Evergreen Networking, that I impacted over a thousand people over the course of the year. That's, that's the thing that I want. The thing that I want most is to impact people and teams. So we're going to probably work with 10 new companies in 2023 make a deep impact in their people. Each company will probably going to train about 100 or so people. Plus, we're going to probably train about 100 consultants, coaches, entrepreneurs, you know, people who we can really make a deep impact and have teams of, let's say, three to five people each. And we're going to continue to grow our agency, continue to make a difference, and just be very present. Like, my goal in the next year is just to be more present than it's to do more. I'm not looking to, like, expand my business by 100x. I'm not looking to do that. I'm not looking to blow the roof off the top. What I'm looking to do is to have balance, to have presence, to keep doing what I'm doing, to keep building. We started building some beautiful things. This past year, I finished off my divorce, which is a very difficult process. I don't know if you've ever gone through a breakup or a divorce or have been involved in one with your parents or whoever. But if you go through it, it's a difficult thing. But it's a stage in your life that you go through. I'm in my 40s now. My birthday just happened. <laughs> So it's like you go through different stages. You know, you start with a partner, the partner breaks up, you have an investor, you break up with the investor, you break up with your wife, you break up like things. And those things stagnate your life. I was just talking to another entrepreneur this morning who told me that he put his life on hold for 10 years because he was going through a very messy divorce. You put your life on hold. That's basically what happens because like you're busy with it. So I feel for the people that are going through it. I've been through it. I'm at the other end of it. So now I just want peace. I just want love. I just want connection. I just want growth. I want to continue to make an impact. I published many books over the past couple of years. So I'm probably not going to publish another one this year. 
but I might redo some of them. I redid the books as well. So for me, it's about going deeper. It's about making a deeper impact by staying focused. But we initially met through Virginia, through Virginia's Get Connected, Stay Connected group. And the reason I know that is because whenever I meet somebody, I organize it with labels. So I know where I met them, how I'm connected to them, all the information about them. And so I know exactly how I, you know, like th that's the context. The context is, you know, are you going on the marketer's cruise, by the way? No. So maybe I'll reach out to you on September 16th. I know that's a special day for you, <laughs> right? So like me looking at people and seeing, okay, what are they up to? What are, where are they at? Learning about them. I see you're doing a lot of really great stuff. You're a professional speaker, an amazing person. And um, I just want to be able to be there for you when you need me. And you'll, you'll come back to me. You'll be like, hey, Joe, I have a client who wants LinkedIn training or I have an event that needs a LinkedIn trainer or something like that. And it'll just turn into like, you know, you're an extrovert already. You're already an extrovert. So two extroverts getting together, something powerful is going to happen for sure. Well, Joe, I can't wait to celebrate all that with you. And I wish you much peace and balance in the future and the coming year and, and beyond. How can people find you and follow your work? Really easy. You go to joelinkedin.com, joelinkedin.com, and you're able to see my profile and you could hit follow on me um, and just uh, hit the connect button. You have to click the more button, the connect button. Um, very, very powerful. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Let me know you saw me on the Robbie Samuel show, show on the schmooze and let's schmooze. Let's just schmooze. What do you have to lose? <laughs> Don't I will schmooze. Have, schmooze. <laughs> I will put all kinds of links to you, including your books in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Joe, thanks so much for joining us for a great conversation. Thank you for having me. And remember, stay motivated. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Joe. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 318. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. Subscribe or follow for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's overcome challenges to achieve success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership and entrepreneurial journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.